Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTSNet2Go. In this podcast, you will be exposed to one of the roundtables that will show you what surgeons today are talking about. Hi, I'm here to talk to you through CTSNet about clinical efficiency. Our group of experts are here assembled to talk to you about how to increase the efficacy of your daily workflow, how to see your patients in the most efficient manner, how to get through all of your work and get home to your families. We know that clinical efficiency is very important and as part of the uh, early careerist workforce, we decided that we would try to get information to you in the most efficient manner. So through the CTSNet, we're happy to share with you any secrets, information, or experience. We'll start by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Brendan Stiles. I'm a thoracic surgeon at New York Presbyterian Cornell. I'm Shanda Blackman. I'm a thoracic surgeon at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. I'm Vinay Badwar. I'm a cardiac surgeon at the University, uh, sorry, West Virginia University in Morgantown. And I'm sorry you're a cardiac surgeon. Because <laughs> he broke a beautiful theme here. Uh, I'm Robert Serfolio. I'm a thoracic surgeon at University of Alabama at Birmingham. So we'll start by asking Dr. Stiles. So what's your general workflow? How do you organize your day? Do you see patients on the same day that you operate? And what kind of support do you have? Um, I try not to see patients on the same day I operate. First of all, I think that that's uh, the Bavaria world's colliding thing. I really try to separate the OR from the clinic. I think especially for patients, you know, safety in the OR, but also for just efficiency in the clinic, that's a disaster putting those two things together. So I start the day by really having a team huddle with the residents and the nurse practitioners to get a plan for the patients. And then I try to see the patients early in the day too because I think it's important that they know the plan. That's good. What about you, Vinay? Uh, so as a cardiac surgeon, as a sole person here, it's, uh, you know, our cases are longer, it's more complicated in terms of our time commitment. And so wow. this, this yeah, whole... I disagree there, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you do 12 cases in the morning, you know. Just, you know? just a complicated <laughs> So, uh, you know, I do exactly as Brendan does, a, a team huddle in the morning, and team is the whole theme here, I think. You know, to have your life efficient, you really have to have a great team. And anything you do to support that team becomes absolutely critical. Uh, so yes, I try not to see, not to do a clinic and ORs the same day. Occasionally that has to happen for emergencies and if you have a great team that can help support clinic or backfill. Um, and so having great partners is really critical and having great support people is critical. So that as Brendan said, it's very important, <coughs> I believe, as I think all of us do, to see your patient every day, um, both either before OR or at least afterwards. Um, it's, the, it's usually the last thing I do, is to make sure I see everybody before I leave the hospital, because uh, that patient connection is still important. So I don't want to lose that in this personal pursuit of keeping your life efficient. Right, I think that's a good point. Dr. Serfolia? So I think, you know, what is efficiency? Efficiency is maximum output with the minimum amount of waste. And it depends how you define what waste is. I think we in medicine have done a really bad job with work-life balance. The cost of a bad work-life balance, it's not just divorced, hurting your kids, hurting your spouse, people leave jobs, it leads to bad quality, it is an absolute disaster. So we have done a really bad job 
with work-life balance and something I'm obviously interested in. So <clears throat> I want to maximize my time at home, my sleep. I want to maximize my ability to work out. So I don't ever round in the morning. I have my residents and fellows round in the morning. And the second I get in the car, since I have to drive to work for 12 minutes, it's a telephone call with the residents and fellows, and they tell the plan to the patients. Then we have four PAs on the floor. I think the people listening should find out how to bargain and to leverage your enterprise value to have the hospital pay for that, not your division or your department, but the hospital. Uh, and then I totally agree with you that having surgery and clinic on the same day is inefficient, but I operate four days a week and seeing 50 to 60 patients in clinic was psychologically too hard for me after 10 years. So I now run my clinic just to 35 people on Thursdays and have a 15 patient clinic on Tuesdays. So Tuesdays, I just do four cases in the morning and then I have a clinic of 15 or 20 people in the afternoon. And it is a recipe for disaster if you don't get each airplane off that tarmac on time and get all four cases done. Um, and I think, just to, to go back to our definition, it's not just your maximum output with the minimum amount of waste and a product of lean, but there's a quality initiative to it. Because going real fast and doing sloppy work leads to bad work-life balance and bad patient relationships and bad outcomes. So we have to divide that quotient by a quality index. And it could be a whole bunch of ways to look at it. I'm getting assigned to shut up, so let's proceed. <laughs> <laughs> So, Brendan, what are some of the things that you do to keep that patient-doctor connection but also maintain efficiency? Specifically, the electronic health record sure. has almost, in a way, made us put our back to the patient as we start clicking to put all of these factors in that need to be populating the electronic health record. Is there anything special <laughs> that you do to keep that connection with the patient? Well, I've sort of sacrificed personal efficiency for efficiency with the patient, and so I don't document at all while I'm talking to the patients. I just talk to them and have it out, let them talk to me, try to look at them and really communicate and be there. That means I have to close the chart either between the visits or at the end of the day, and so it leads to a lot of closing charts at night. But I think you can do a lot as you're going, and so all the important parts I'll try to write down as I go and then go back and close them later. We've built a lot of things into our EMR, and we have scribes and everything too, so that really helps tremendously. And I, I think also the resources angle, this should be your hospital, everybody helping you trying to get these people there because they're invaluable to us and to our time. Right. We, at Mayo Clinic, I've started developing a series of patient education videos, and they watch the videos so that I don't end up telling them the same story over and over again about what your <coughs> options are if you present with achalasia. They see the video, we come in, and then you're really more answering questions. And then we usually have mid-levels that are helping us to do that EMR part, place orders. I personally do all my own posting because I want the case to be posted correctly and perfectly. But I think those are some of the ways you can save time, too. But you can trust your team to post for you. And we... You absolutely can, we, and half of my partners do that. Yeah. And yeah. we want to be perfect, but you also have to know to delegate something. So I let my PA post. She writes it while I'm sitting there. I don't do any writing in front of the patient. And I think scribes are too expensive. I just use my phone, which I don't have with me. But I have a Siri that dictates right into EMR. It's a 360 MAS HIPAA compliant way. I used to use a headset in my clinic. And now I just dictate. And then I don't edit the letter. The PA or the nurse or the medical student who sees the patient with me, we have seven clinic rooms. So I run seven rooms in the clinic. And I can be very efficient. I use the videos as well. And finally, I make the patient bring a tape recorder. Because when they ask me the same question for the second time, I go, oh, no, Mr. Johnson, it's on your recorder. Go back and listen and play it for your family. And that has made me very efficient. I've been doing that for 20 years. 
What about you? So, you know, I think, like I said earlier, the, using your team, I think everybody should work at the top of their skill set, you know, at the top of their ability. And so what we do is I don't uh, make any notes in clinic, during clinic. I sign them afterwards and add uh, impression and plan and, and, and be very, it only takes us a few minutes to do that. And you be very specific exactly, this is the first thing I'm going to do, the second thing. So when the case gets posted, it's posted accurately. But um, as everyone has said, I don't actually do any transcription during the conversation. It's all direct communication. Because really, that's the only time that I really spend connecting to the patient in clinic. And so it's that a lot of the stuff in clinic, uh, especially for our early career uh, uh, physicians, that's the moment where you have to create that bond. And if you miss that and you're too quick about it, then if there's a problem that happens or you know, your, your reputation, it's the faith that you have, and that, that connection is important. So I spend my time then, but then rounding and other things, are I defer completely to the top of the skill set of our team. Great. And it's a, it's a trust, isn't it? Yep. <coughs> and if you come in an hour late, you are screwed to begin with, because you've already got one foot in the hole. And so being late to people in the clinic, and I am about 25 to 30 minutes late, we track this. No matter what I do, I seem to get late after about the first 10 or 15 patients. We've got to get better. But if you come in the room late, you're telling the patient you don't value their time, and that hurts the relationship. I think the biggest mistake people make is they think they have to spend 30, 40 minutes with a patient. You can spend two minutes with a patient. I spend four minutes and 30 seconds with new patients, and the patient says on exit that Dr. Serfolio was there for 20 minutes. Don't show this part of the video. But the point is, it's their perception of how much time you're there. If you're there just really going over the nuts and the bolts of the operation in a mechanical way, you're not connecting. But if you're there letting them know you really care about them, that you and your team do this all the time and you're going to get a good outcome, I think you can get that connection quicker. That is efficiency. And I think with your other venues, your uh, notebooks you give them, your daily, what happens each day in the hospital, we give them the videos. We have a video of what happens on the way to the hospital. The day of surgery, a video for post-op day one, post-op day two. There's other educational ways to give them that information without telling them. The time you're in the clinic is to sell, let them know that you care about them, that you love them while you're operating on them, and you, you're, that there's a trust built. But we can't be late, because it's hard to build the trust when you're late. You know, so, so there's a slight difference in cardiac. I think there's many different ways of doing it. You know, um, sir, if you see, and you t take care of thousands of patients, you know. In cardiac surgery, it's a focused issue. And, you know, there's a life and death issue with everything we do in thoracic surgery. Right. Um, in some cardiac operations, particularly if they're coming quite ill, there is a chance that they may not pull through. Yeah. And that's the moment. It, I, so I have a slightly contrarian uh, view on how I run that's because I, I, I spend that time, and I spend 30 minutes with the patient, sometimes 40 minutes. And that first 15 is about explaining, you know, whatever it has to do with the valve or, or AFib or whatever your problem is. And even though that's kind of comes out rote, yeah. they feel that I'm talking to them as a family member. And I try to do that connection. Right. So that after the fact, if something <coughs> happens, of which thankfully nothing does, right. but they have that faith. And even if I'm there seeing them post-operatively for 10 seconds, because our team's already rounded on them, it's all good. Yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, I try to sit down every time I interact with a patient. Yeah. When we make rounds on the floor, I squat down to look at the chest tube, but I also take that opportunity to make myself lower than the patient 
so that when they're talking to me, it's more intimate. They don't feel threatened. I'm not looking down on them in the bed. I mean, I think the ways that you interact with your patient are really important, and you can make a single moment twice as meaningful in the way that you interact with them. I think another way that I, in my early practice, made myself a little bit more efficient was you know, esophageal cancer patients take a lot of time. And, and after you take out their esophagus and the proximal part of their stomach and you drag their stomach up and you reconnect them, it's not like they're going to just go back out into the world and function like a regular person. They need a lot of coaching. And so I built a support group where all of my patients once a month would come and I would link patients to one another and they would help. They can go through specific training on can care, teaches cancer patients to care for other cancer patients. And the patients would mentor each other, help them troubleshoot tube feeding, help them troubleshoot J-tube you know, problems, or help them, you know, oh, you have, uh, you're losing weight, add a protein, add a fiber, here are ways to you know, make yourself not be so sick or lose weight. And the, and the support group was probably one of the greatest things I ever did. Because I actually got to follow my patients Unlike, you know, in a, you can't see an esophageal cancer patient every month for a year, but in a group you can, and, and you're always available to them. And they it's, take ownership, especially the caregiver. So if you operate on the husband, and they, they bring the caregiver the with them to the Correct. support group. And actually, I think I benefited more than they did. Absolutely. But, but it's a great way to, and, and I know cardiac surgery is different. But it might even be something that, that, no, that can be done there. Yeah, this is you're creating a, uh, an element of coaching. Right. which is very important. I know my friend here yeah. talks a lot about He doesn't about know coaching. anything about coaching. Nothing at all, no, I don't, but I um, dabble. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, I think that's wonderful. Uh, I think that's definitely applicable to cardiac surgery. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think what you're saying about how you interact with patients, some of our early career uh, folks, when you're running around as a resident and then you're new it's in overwhelming. practice, well, you, you don't, sometimes you don't actually know how to do that. And you know what, at the core, it's how you're brought up and how you are as a person. And if that was your family member, how would you act? And you know, I think you know, bending down, like you said, sitting on the bed for yeah. two seconds and, and touching, touching, them, touching, touching, yeah. touching them. Yeah. There's good data. The There's good data for that. You know, that even if it's thirty seconds, they feel you've been there for an hour. Yeah. And I, it may be inappropriate, but I'll say sometimes I hug my patients, and there is there are data that oxytocin yeah. is released when you are hugging someone. And showing affection to your patients in a reasonable way, Dr. Serfolio, maybe but I'm listening, very... I'm agreeing, if not the fact you're a beautiful woman, but <laughs> an average looking guy can do this too in the South. And so I do that all I, think, I do that I all think the time. It's nice to be yeah. to, to show that you care and, and to really try to connect with your patient in a way that is normal for you. I mean, if you're not a hugger, it's probably not a good idea, but yeah. I think it's important to 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 be to be real with your patients. It, it means a lot to the patients, and, and you can't fake it. Yeah. Patients know if you really care. You can't fake it, and almost all of us really care. But when you become 30, 40, 50, and you're on your 18,000 case, I always tell the resident in the interim, we walk in the room, okay, this is the 44th patient today in clinic. It's their only time they have cancer. For them, it's their one and only time they see you. You've got to be tough in the fourth quarter. I always hold up, you know, if you're doing our eighth or ninth or tenth case today, I always say fourth quarter, this is why we beat the other teams, or the last ten patients in clinic, okay, we're entering the fourth quarter, hold up four fingers, this is where we're going to be great. You can't get tired. And you know, this is the whole point of this conversation, right? It's about career efficiency, clinical efficiency, and that's a really important point. So it's the end of the day, it's six o'clock, 
and your kids are getting ready for if you're depending on how hopefully old it's kids four o'clock. <laughs> We're not in clinic past four. But go ahead. But you know, even if it's, even if it's rounding, yeah, or yeah. in clinic, yeah. that's the moment that you have with your patient, and right. so you can't be rushed, or right. they feel that you're rushed. Yeah. So these types of you know ways of connecting helps you get through the day and get you home for your family. What do you guys think, though? People watching, some of the younger surgeons may say, well, it's easy for these guys to be efficient. They've got all the resources. The institution's given them everything. Right. I find it's harder for young surgeons who are starting out. They don't have block OR time. They don't have as block clinic time. Nobody in clinic to help them. How do, you, how do you mature those people and ensure that they can be efficient? So, so I, I would say, um, starting out in a practice where I didn't have block time, it would be important to make the most of every second. We call it found time, right? Yeah, so absolutely. if you're waiting for a case to go, one of the biggest mistakes I made in my first year of practice is I would sit on that little Same bench time. outside the OR, <laughs> like, when is my case going to go? And I, and I think that was it's a really, and you get really frustrated. And I even contacted the administration. I said, you need to put some stair climbers or some ellipticals outside here because these <laughs> surgeons are spinning out of control and they need to get rid of that energy. But I think I'm one of a the massage therapist, but go ahead. No, yeah, okay. So, um, no, I'm serious. Think, There's data for that. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. But I think one of, the, one of the ways that I started to deal with that extra time in a more meaningful manner, actually, I hate to say it, but I took it from you, and I had them put a desk out there with a computer, yeah. and I turned it into my little office, and I would go into that little spot, and I would review a paper. I would... Um, you know, answer email. I would do my, you know, clinic work. You know, I would get all my jobs done while I was waiting. There's never a time where I'm just kind of sitting right. and doing nothing and being frustrated. So I'd say for the early career people, yeah. the most you can do is if you find yourself, if you have the luxury of the time to complain, well, that's your problem. You need to quit complaining and go find something to do. You know, we're all busy, <laughs> busy cardiothoracic surgeons. And if you're not, if you ever have a gap in your day, if you want to get home to see your family at six o'clock or seven o'clock or four o'clock, um, then you know you make make every moment count. And part of the thing we haven't talked about is communicating to the referring doctors. You know, whenever That's I have a second, important. whenever I have a second, everything is on my cell phone. I text them information <coughs> in a HIPAA compliant, secure way, so they are connected to what's happening to the patients. Mm. Uh, some of the other things is, you know, how do you communicate to docs? And if you're busy, as you get busier, as in young careers, there's several ways of doing so. Also, is that, for example, um, what I have, I use Outlook, and I know what the case is, and I have uh, my assistant put in my note embedded in Outlook. So I, when I, I pull up on my phone the details of the plan of the patient, because sometimes if you're busy and you don't remember the nuances of each patient, um, then it's all right there, along with the referring doctor's phone number. And our, my assistant will call them ahead of time in the office saying, at this time, you're going to get a phone call from Dr. Babwar. What's the best way of contacting you? Okay. And, and then, Sweet you know, we just we come out of the OR, pick up the phone, call, and they, the physician feels connected, but that keeps your time. I'm so, sending you my patients. So, <laughs> so a couple of things. I think that's great. I think I'd rather have a text than a phone call. So about seven, we used to send faxes. That's how old yeah, I am. Yeah. My post update one, never zero. You are post very old. Yeah, but I'm actually younger than you, but we won't let that go for me. <laughs> don't cut that out. Uh, so we just send texts, and I don't do it. My, my uh, PA's on the floor do it. They send the text to the referrals. Lobectomy done yesterday, doing a real short, real cryptic. Doctors love that. They don't want to note, they don't want to call, they want to read this when they want to read it. So I think text is great. The other thing I wanted to be granular about is going to the clinic yourself. So for young people who are going to the clinic, they don't have four PAs like I don't only have two in the clinic. 
medical students, fellows, or by themselves. I did it for three years. Everyone forgot I started with nothing. So I wasn't going through a million films and being inefficient. I said, if you're going to come to my clinic, you're going to get a CAT scan, a PET scan, and PFTs if you have a resectable lung nodule. My secretaries in the office, I taught them how to do that. So when they came, I had a report of a CT, a report of a PET, PFTs, and a stress test if they smoked, because my secretaries had to do it at home, or our institution to get the resource value and enterprise value. Made my clinic incredibly efficient. And if they had a liver nodule, it got biopsied before I saw them. So I wasn't in the room for 30 minutes telling somebody, I think you got stage four cancer. You connect, you lose emotional, you only have so much emotional state in your body. If you're in the room telling people you're just meeting, they got stage four cancer for the first time, you can't spend four minutes there. I don't want to meet that patient. No offense, I want the oncologist to spend the emotional value. I'll talk to the people that I want to see and it up the efficiency of my clinic to 60, 70% resection rate for new patients instead of where it was when I first started at 30. So there's really granular ways for them to do this without help in the, in the clinic. Let me say, so I think uh, when you're surf, everybody's probably happy to get a text from you. They probably think it's the greatest thing. But I think when you're starting out as a young surgeon, you should pick up the phone and you should call the referring. You should probably call the primary doctor, especially I think if you're in a new new environment, a competitive environment, or you don't know people. It's a Do great way. Do you think way. they want to get interrupted in their day and take a call? I think that they don't mind. And if they're short, then it's short and you haven't lost anything. But, but I, I think things are evolving, Yeah. Uh, especially the, uh, you know, our early career uh, folks will actually have early career referring docs. Yeah, I think that that's true. Oftenly. So, so uh, it depends text, on texting. Yeah, I think texting works. For sure. I, I text. For sure. But if it's a new person, pick up the phone and introduce yourself, say who you are, Absolutely. look them up before you go, see if there's any connections, it's make a great that personal connection. So I think in summary, you've seen there's a diverse way to manage your practice among thoracic and cardiac surgeons. Probably some common themes that you saw today is in spite of the fact that we were supposed to be talking about efficiency, one of the most common things that we talked about was connecting with your patient and being efficient in one part of your day and then really making the most of your time when it really does count. And that's coming from a lot of experience in this room, especially the elderly Dr. Serpola. <laughs> um, so thank She's you for your time. It's been a great uh, chance to chat with these experts. I know I've learned a lot. I'm taking it back to my practice. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to CTS Net to Go, your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTS Net by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTS Net Video, by following at CTS Net Org on Twitter or by liking CTS Net's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTS Net to Go. Have a great day.